So as I mentioned, we are, uh, we're in, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we are actually, this is the, the last in this series that we've walked through through the summer months, uh, this series called A New Way of Living, and we've walked through a lot of different things that Paul's highlighted through the last three chapters of, of Ephesians, and so now we find ourselves at kind of at the end of this, and the last couple weeks have been really specific in terms of new ways of navigating our relationships, so we talked about marriage and the relationship between husband and wife, and then last week, if you're here, we talked about family and the relationship between parent and child, and now Paul gets even more broad and addresses something that many times we just kind of compartmentalize away from our lives, like, that's ah, just a part of my life that I have to put up with, or I have to deal with, but it's not really that important. It's this thing called work. It's that other part of our lives, that part of our lives that, that many of us just think, ah, I have to do this to pay the bills, but I really don't like this, and I just have to put up with it so I can be with my family, I can do what I want to do in life, and not realizing God has a much more important and vital role of work in your life than you would even realize. And the reason this is so important is because work is such a huge part of our life. 25% of your life as an average American will be spent working. 25%. If you remove the hours that you're sleeping, which you're not doing anything, it gets closer to about 50% of your life is spent working. So between 40 and 50% of your life is spent in this place called work, yet sometimes we feel like, ah, I just have to tolerate work. It's this part of my life that I don't really like. I don't like who I work with. I don't like who I work for, but I have to do it. It's the necessary evil of life. God has a much more comprehensive and, and specific purpose for what work is in our lives. And that's what we want to look at this morning because the workplace is so important in your journey in following Jesus. And in our country today, we see more and more of things that have gone wrong in the workplace. I mean, this last week, you had another disgruntled employee who went through, uh, because of their own issues, took the life of two other people as a result of the environment that he thought he was in. It can be a volatile environment. It's so important as people who choose to follow Jesus that we look at work much differently than when we have in the past. And so let me read through these uh, verses together, and then we'll talk about how this applies to how we function in our work environment. So Paul says in verse 5 of Ephesians 6, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So before we jump into the passage, I already know some of the objections. He's saying, Pastor John, are you equating being an employee as being a slave and being an employer as being a master? I'm not implying, I'm I'm actually applying, which means what Paul is talking about in his context is masters and slaves. When Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, when he was addressing the issue of masters and slaves, that was a part of the culture that he lived in. In fact, slavery was probably similar and different than what we would say slavery is today. Slavery could be somebody incurred such a large debt in their life that the only way that they could pay that back was to work it off. So they became a slave to a master. It could be like what we've known modern-day slavery to be. Somebody is bought and sold like some kind of commodity when they're a human being, and that's obviously wrong. Paul is not condoning slavery in this passage. What he is saying is if you find yourself in the role of a slave or as a master, and you are a follower of Jesus, there's a certain way that you are to relate to each other. 
And so when you and I take the application for today, you and I can say employer, employee. The context where somebody is over you and has authority over you, and the context where you are over somebody else and have authority over them, and how we should relate together. The best context for that to be lived out is in this thing called work. And that's why we can take the application from what Paul is saying this morning and talk about this using the analogy of slaves and masters. Now, some of you are thinking, I am a slave. That's what I feel like at work. But in reality, compared to what Paul's talking about, none of us are ultimately slaves like that. So let me begin with walking through the first part of the passage and really looking at how we relate to those who are over us, those who we would consider our manager, our boss, our supervisor, our employer. How do we as an employee relate to them in a way that God has, has desired for us to relate to them? So the first thing is, look at verse 5, is that we're to relate to those who are over us with respect. Now, some of us, this is really easy. Others, this is a challenge. Paul says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Now, now, I'm sure when Paul said this, and I'm sure even in this room right now, you're like, you don't know my boss. You don't know my supervisor. You don't know my manager. You don't know the way they treat me. You don't know the kind of person they are. You don't, if you really knew who they were, you wouldn't be saying, treat them with respect. But here's the key. You are respecting them not because you somehow think that they've earned your respect. You're respecting them because of the position and place that God has placed them in, in your work environment with authority over you. There's a huge difference. You can eventually learn to value and like the person that's over you, but you don't have to like them to respect them. You don't even have to agree with them to respect them. But if you start to realize, as a follower of Jesus, in a work environment, you are a demonstration, we'll talk more about this, of who Jesus is in that environment. And ultimately, the authority that somebody in your workplace has over you is not their authority. All authority comes from God ultimately. And because of that, the authority they have has been given by God. Now, they can use it for good or for, for evil. But ultimately, the respect you have for them is the respect that, of the authority that God has given them. And that means that sometimes you have to do things and you have to comply even though you don't want to. That means that, of course, if they're asking you to do something immoral or illegal, that's a whole other category. But you have to respect the position that God has placed them in and respond to their authority. For example, this is an extreme example, and I've, I've said this before, but, but if you're driving down the road and you see flashing red lights behind you, and they're not going by you and on a way to an emergency, they're actually behind you because you've done something wrong, most normal people will do what? Pull over. Now, if you're like me, when you pull over, you're trying to figure out what did I do wrong, and how is the officer going to be wrong, and I really didn't do that, right? And you're thinking all those things. But when the officer gets out of his vehicle or steps off his motorcycle and he has a gun and a badge, you automatically have what for him? Respect and somewhat fear. Why? Because he has a place of authority. And so when he comes up to your vehicle and says, you did this, you ran a red light, you blew through a stop sign, you made a, a poor lane change, you were speeding. Now you can argue that, but you have to respect his authority. You may disagree, and that's why we have courts but you still have to respect his authority. The same thing is true in an environment where you have somebody in authority over you. You can disagree with them, but you can show respect. That means that you, you don't have to have an attitude. You don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to be abrasive. You don't have to be angry, but you can show respect, which is what Paul's talking about. In that environment, when someone's over you, show respect for the position that God has put them in, for the authority that they have in that particular environment. Second thing, 
that Paul mentioned. Going on, look at the next part of verse 5. He says, you and I should relate to those who are over us with sincerity. So verse 5, he goes on, with sincerity of heart. What does Paul mean? He means that as a follower of Jesus, there has to be a capacity in us that even though we may struggle with an employer or a manager or a supervisor, we work with sincere, authentic, transparent hearts in all that we do. We don't fake it. We don't pretend. We genuinely give all of who we are to what we're doing. We don't try to be deceptive. We don't try to pretend. We don't try to put on a mask. We are sincere in what we do. And therefore, because ultimately we know, we'll talk about this a little bit, we are not serving people. We're not serving an employer. We're ultimately serving God. Then out of the sincerity of my heart, I give all that I am to do the best job that I can. And that's hard because sometimes when you don't really like the work that you're doing or you like, don't like your employer, it's easy not to be sincere. It's easy to be fake or to put on a facade or to pretend and not really be honest and be sincere and be really what most of us desire is to be passionate about what you do. Think, well, I really don't like doing what I'm doing. That doesn't mean you can't be passionate. That doesn't mean that you can't be all in. Doesn't mean you can be sincere and do what you're supposed to do. And that's, that's the difference. When, when somebody is a follower of Jesus, they should work with all the passion that God gives them at whatever they're doing. Because God has placed them there. God has put authority over them. God has given them life. And because of that, they can demonstrate what it looks like. So have you ever experienced that where you encountered somebody where you feel like what they're doing, they're passionate about? They don't necessarily have to like what they're doing, but they're all in. They're fully invested. They're passionate. Those are the kind of people you like to encounter. Those are the kind of people that we like to have as servers in a restaurant, correct? We can all think of times where we sat down in a restaurant and you encounter an employee who really doesn't care about what they're doing. They're not excited about it. They're pretending. They're putting on a happy face. But you can tell they're just not in it. Anybody had that person serve them in a restaurant before? We all have. Anybody experienced the opposite? What is it like to sit down and have somebody actually excited to do what they're doing actually sincerely want to talk to you, even though they may, may or not get a good or a bad tip, but they genuinely are there. Kim and I had this experience about a week and a half ago. We were out in the valley, and we went to, uh, we went to an olive garden out there that we had not been to before, and so uh, we've been to a lot of different olive gardens and had a lot of varying experiences, and sadly, if you work at Olive Garden, I'm sorry, most of them are on the negative side, but so we sat down, and immediately when we sat down, uh, our server came up to her. Her name is Ashley, and she was just you could tell she was happy to be there, and she's asking us questions and kind of engaging us more than, you know, what do you want to drink kind of thing, and so she, she took our drink order, and then, and then eventually came back, and we did the whole food thing, and, and I was blown away because she would come back and check in on us every once in a while, but as we were eating lunch, four different employees other than Ashley would came to our table, refilled our drinks, asked if everything was okay. It was like, we were like looking at each other like, this is weird. I mean, everybody's so nice and happy, and you know, where, where's the hidden camera? I don't really believe this kind of thing. And so then when we get our meal, uh, we start to eat, and Kim noticed that part of what she had ordered was burnt. And so she put it on the side of her plate. And so Ashley comes over. She goes, how's everything? And Kim said, well, actually, you know what? And she showed, she said, this got burnt. And, you know, and so she looked at it, and she goes, oh. She goes, I'm glad that you set that aside. She goes, do you mind if I take that? And we're like, it's like, sure, you want to save it for later? She goes, I, I, would, I really, she goes, I, I'd like to take that. She goes, because I want to take it back to the kitchen. I need to show the cooks what it looks like when you burn food and how you shouldn't do this. And she goes, and in fact, your meal's free. We're like, okay, now there's got to be a hidden camera somewhere around here. So she just, she went to the kitchen. She came back. She apologized. And, 
And so after we were kind of wrapping up and we were getting the bill and everything, I just said, I said, I have to tell you, Ashley, I said, this has been the best Olive Garden experience we have ever had. And she looked at me, she goes, oh, really? She goes, that is so good to hear. She goes, I love what I do. And we're like, it is so obvious that you love what you do. And this is what's crazy, is that she's the assistant manager. She's like second in command over that store. And she said, she pulled out her card, and she says, hey, next time you guys come here, ask for me. Ask to get put in my section. She goes, I'm assistant manager. She goes, but I love to serve, so I still serve tables, even though she doesn't have to. She, gets, she does, does that. And it was like, we walked away. I'm like, I'll go there again. I'll go there and even order burnt food, if that's what it takes. Because she was so genuine and so passionate about what she was doing. She, she made even burnt food good. It was crazy. Now think about that. In your workplace, what if you worked with that kind of passion? What if you really were invested in what you were doing? How would it change not only your outlook, but the outlook of everyone around you who you work with and the employer who you're, who's overseeing you, who has authority over you, to see you work in such a way that they see the genuineness, the passion, and the sincerity of your heart as you do your job. Third thing that, that Paul talks about in terms of how we relate to those over us is he says relate with integrity. So he says, obey them not only to win their favor, this is the key, when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, do, doing the will of God from your heart. He's saying, don't just put on a good show for your employer when they see you, when they're looking at you, when they notice you, but realize that you're doing the will of God much bigger than your employer by working with integrity, which means I am consistent in everything that I do, regardless if my employer sees me or if they don't. Now, I wish this, this, this wasn't true, but so many times in the workplace, we have different levels of the way that we work according to who is watching, who sees us, who knows what's going on. And so we work according to, really, if somebody's noticing us. And when we're left alone and nobody else sees us, there's another work ethic that we embrace. We maybe slow down, we cut corners. Why? Because nobody will know, nobody will see. Now, of course, none of us ever have done that in here, right? None of us have. When I was, I mentioned last week that one of my first jobs was McDonald's, and I, and I learned as, a, as an employee, I never really worked my way up. In fact, I only worked there for a year, and I told last week how I got fired from there, and, and, uh, and I got one dime raise the whole year, so I went from 335 to 345, woo, get excited about that kind of raise. And, uh, but, but when I was there, I, I noticed that there was kind of a, a different context depending on who was managing the shift I was on. So, because at McDonald's at the time, we had three kind of managers. We had a shift manager, we had an assistant manager, there was like three or four of those, in the store, and then we had a store manager. Now, when the shift manager was on, it didn't matter what kind of authority they thought they had, because the week before, that shift manager was just a regular old employee like us. And suddenly, they came in, and they had a little thing on their little badge that says, shift manager, like, I've arrived. No, you're still just like us. So, nobody would follow the rules. I mean, really? You know, you had six steps in the ordering process. Nobody would follow them. and Nobody would clean up like they're supposed to. And then an assistant manager would come in the next shift and get on the shift manager. But then when the assistant manager was there, there was another level that you'd kind of step up your game. You know, you'd kind of, well, they could kind of get me in trouble with the store manager, so I should probably do this and that. But then when the store manager came in, then you did everything by the book. And I remember, I remember one time, even beyond the store manager, the, there was a, a two brothers that owned the McDonald's that I worked at. And they owned 37 McDonald's. They're multimillionaires. And one Saturday during my shift, they came in 
And this is what's crazy. These multimillionaires are behind the counter flipping burgers, taking orders. I was blown away. But that store never looked so clean. Employees never followed the, 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 the guidelines so specifically as that day. Why? Because the owners of the store were there. But the moment that they left, everybody went right back to what they used to do. There's this different levels. And this, the tragedy is what Paul is saying is, don't just do that when they're looking at you because you have to understand when they're not looking at you, God is looking at you. God sees everything of what's going on. And if you understand you're not ultimately working for them, you're working for him, then he is the store manager that is always present. He is the owner that is always behind the counter. He's always there, and that means that we have to work with integrity. We don't have different levels of how we embrace work. It's consistent regardless of who's around or who's looking over our shoulder. And then the fourth thing that that Paul mentions about how we relate to those over us is he talks about commitment in verse 7. He says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. That your commitment to the quality of your work, your commitment to your work is all in. You give 100%, 100% of the time. That's your commitment, that you're all in. Now, can you imagine if around our country, if people, the word got out, that people who claim to be followers of Jesus are the best employees, we wouldn't go through unemployment, would we? Some of us would because of the economy and different things like that. But what if the, the word got out that, man, I should hire Christians because they work harder than anybody and they're faithful and they respect authority and they have integrity and they help the company. What if that was, that was the word out on the street? Tragically, sometimes it's not. I don't want that Christian. They're going to they're gonna tell me about the Bible and how I'm wrong and how I'm a sinner and how I don't run my business right. And they're going to probably slack off like my other employees and that's sometimes the knock on Christians. That's, I know that's the knock on restaurants. That's why most servers don't want to work on Sundays. Why? Because the Christians come in and they tip really bad. That's just a side note, okay? If you're a Christian, tip really good. But, so think about this for a moment. What would that be like if the reputation of followers of Jesus was they are the best employees? You know that about 20 or 30 years ago, Dodger Stadium caught on to something about that? They realized that kids, young people who had religious backgrounds, were better employees than those who didn't. 30 years ago, when you, walk, when you drove into Dodger Stadium parking lot, almost every single one of those 18 to 20-year-olds standing in that booth getting money for parking was either a Christian or a Mormon, because Mormons had moral upbringing. And Dodger Stadium made a strategic decision to hire those kinds of employees because they were having a problem before they did that. People working the parking booths were stealing money from Dodger Stadium. So they needed employees that, because that's the furthest away you can get from the stadium is the parking booths. And so they said, we have to put people with integrity there. And I don't know if it was one or two they hired and they said, wow, they're honest. They're not stealing money. We should hire more. And before you know it, if you drove up, I mean... They all looked the same, white, suburban, you know, clean cut. That was kind of like the typical, you know, Dodger Stadium. Why? Because they kind of got into that pool and realized they have integrity, so we're going to hire them. They had a good reputation. See, when you're at work, you are not only representing yourself, you're representing all other followers of Jesus. The way you work either makes God look really good or it makes people want to reject the people that follow him. So the commitment that we have to our work is so important because not only is our employer looking, but God is looking and other people are looking and we're demonstrating as an example of what it looks like for Jesus to be in the workplace. 
So those, those are the ways that Paul highlights. So listen, this is how you relate to those who have authority over you. And then he moves on in, in verse 9, and he talks about now on the other side. So if you are a manager, a supervisor, an employer, there is certain ways that God has designed and required of us to relate to the people who are under us, the people that we have authority over. So look at verse 9. The first thing that Paul says is that we are to relate to those under us the same way that they relate to you, the same way that we just went through. So respect, integrity, commitment, those kinds of things, sincerity, the way that employees relate to employers is exactly the way that managers, supervisors, and employers are to relate to those they're over. It's a two-way street. It's not as though, okay, well, you know, I, I've worked my way up, and, and now I'm in a place of management, or I'm in a place of oversight of people. Now I don't have to treat people this way. I can do whatever I want. Why? Because I'm in charge. That's missing the point. It's a two-way street, Jesus says. It's a two-way street that you are t- t- teaching, treating people who are under you with the same respect that they're giving you, the same integrity, the same sincerity. And it's important because when we don't do that, what happens is we lose touch with what it means just to be an employee of the company that we work for. Something happens when we work our way up that we forget what it was like when we first came in the door. When we had to work hard and do things that maybe we didn't want to do and we, we advanced in our career and we got into management, we kind of forgot what it was like to be the little guy. About five or six years ago, CBS came out with a series called Undercover Boss. Anybody seen that? And it's got spinoff, and I think it's in syndicate on other, show, under other networks now. But the whole concept was a CEO would become one of their employees. They would put a disguise on, and they would go work side-by-side side with people on the assembly line or people on the front lines. And it was always the same scenario that would unfold. The CEO would just have these aha moments of, I had no idea this is what it's like to work on the front lines. I had no idea that we don't offer that for our employees. I had no idea that this, this employee is going through this personal struggle in life. I had no idea. And then it led to drastic changes in companies because now these, these employers had an appreciation for those who were under them, those who they had authority over because they became like one of them. They had that same kind of respect and understanding. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. If you're, if you're an employer, if you're, a, if you're over people, what would it be like for a day or two in your week that you go work side by side your employees? You go do the job that they do every time. You don't sit up in an office or remove from everybody, but you go and do what they do every single day. It will change their view of you. They'll actually think, wow, this person actually cares. Maybe you'll actually learn some things because what happens is, we'll talk about this in a moment, when you value your employees, they'll be better employees. They will. When there is this, this connection between management and employment, those, that relationship is good, you'll have better employees. The work environment will be better. So treat them the same way and relate to them the same way as they relate to you. Second thing that Paul says about those who are under us and how we relate to them is in verse 9 as well, is, is choose to empower instead of control. Paul says, do not threaten them. Why would Paul say that? Because somewhere throughout human history, somebody thought it would be a really good idea when you have authority over people, particularly in a work environment, if you're going to get the most out of your employees, you have to be really hard on them, you have to be really intimidating, and you have to somehow find a way to be a really good jerk, right? And then your employees will somehow, oh, now I'm going to do my best because you're berating me and you're threatening me and you're making my work environment really difficult. Now I'm going to do the best job possible. Does that sound crazy? 
It does, but we still have that kind of thing happening in, in our employment circles all the time. Somebody gets into a place of control, and now they think it is their job and their privilege to make your life miserable. You don't have to raise your hand if that's the employer that you have. Especially if you're on staff here, you better not raise your hand right now. So, But just, just think about that for a moment, if that's the work context that you find yourself in. If you're the one that is the employer, or the manager, or the supervisor, and you're creating that kind of environment for your employees, that's not what God has desired for you and for your employees. It's not the best leadership model. It's not the best model for employment. But somehow we, we buy into that. Just think about the environment. Maybe, maybe you're on the other end of that. Maybe you work in that kind of environment. And so every time you go to work, it's like, you're like walking on eggshells because you don't want to upset your boss or your supervisor or manager. Why? Because you know they're going to just go off on you. And so everybody tiptoes around, worrying about what's going to be said. You know, if you're that employer, there's a couple things that you probably should be aware of. When, when you walk into the room and the conversation goes quiet, not a good sign. When nobody wants to talk to you and they avoid you and you end up by yourself a lot, not a good sign. There's things that you need to realize. Are you creating a threatening environment so that your employees live in fear of you because you're in control of them? And because of that, there's no relationship at all. Now, I wish, I wish that what I'm describing never, ever happened in the church. Now, the context of employment for me has been the church for quite some time once I came into ministry. And I would hope in, you know, in an in a, in a ideal setting, in an ideal world, all employers... All senior pastors who may oversee staffs always created the most loving and nurturing and thriving environment for their employees. Sadly, that's not true. The church is just like the world so many times. I had a friend who was three years ahead of me in Bible college, and he graduated, and he got into youth ministry. And so I was a little bit behind him, and so I was always asking him. And when we, In fact, when I got out of college and got into youth ministry, we used to sit down once a month, and I'd pick his brain because he was a little bit ahead of me in, in things he was learning. And so... When he first got out, and we were talking about the church that he was on staff at, and he was telling me, I said, well, how, how is it? I said, how's youth ministry? He goes, oh, the kids are great and everything. He goes, I'm loving working with the kids. And I said, well, how is it being on staff, and what is it like? And he said, oh, it's horrible. I said, what do you mean it's horrible? He said, man, he goes, he goes the worst part of my week is Monday morning at 9 o'clock. I said, why? He goes, he goes, that's when there's staff meeting. I said, well, what's wrong with staff meeting? He goes, staff meeting every Monday is three hours. He goes, all the staff comes in to their meeting room, their conference room, and they kind of tiptoe in and they sit down. And for the next three hours, he goes, our senior pastor just goes around the table and tells every staff member how they blew it the day before. He said, that's staff meeting. He said, so everybody kind of crawls out of there. And he said, I don't know how I ended up working out. He goes, but I have the office next to the senior pastor. And he said, I hear everything. He goes, I hear how he just shreds staff members, and then he walks out the door and, store and smiles at people in the church. Now, this is, this, is, this is a significant church. This was a large church, and from the outside, people say, look at the wonderful things God's doing, and God was still working despite that environment. But that was the context he was working in. And I remember hearing this and thinking, I don't want that. I, I'll stay in Bible college for the rest of my life. I don't want to walk into that. Sadly, today, that pastor no longer is in ministry, and a number of his staff members are no longer in ministry as well. Now, is it all his fault? No, but I think he takes responsibility for the environment that he created that wasn't honoring to the Lord. 
And I know when I heard that and I'd seen some of the, some of the things that I know when I was younger I had seen modeled in leadership in church was in that kind of dysfunctional environment. And when Kim and I got into ministry, we said, we're not doing that. We are not going to destroy the staff to try to make the church look like it's something. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But learning to understand as an employer, you have the ability to create an environment that either helps your employees to thrive or it creates fear, intimidation, and you threaten them. And that's not what God's purpose for you or for them. And then Paul gives the third thing that you should understand in terms of relating to those under you is that you should value them as God values them. You should value them the same. He says, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So I know it's just a newsflash for some of you. God looks down on you as the employer and looks down on your employees and says, I see them all the same. You're like, oh man, I thought God loved me more. No, he doesn't love you less. He just loves your employees as much as he loves you. With God, it's an equal playing field. There is no favoritism. That means God values people the same. And so he says to the master or the employer, value those under you the same. You are no better than them. You are equal in the sight of God. Therefore, show them value. Now, that's hard sometimes because we are in environments and employ- in an employment situation where it's kind of based on this structure where I'm more valuable, I get more pay, I get more kudos, I get more responsibility, but they're just down here. Now, in the work environment, that might be true. But at a personal level, in the human environment, absolutely not. The person who's on the assembly line is just as valuable as the person who sits at the desk in, as a CEO. They're equally valuable. That, that's why as an employer... You can never allow yourself to categorize your employees by the task that they do and value them according to what they do for the company because there's a human being in that employee. There's a human being that needs to know the love and grace and mercy of Jesus through your life that is so much more important than the task that they perform for your company. They are the people that Jesus died for and he values them. And that means for for some, if you're in a management position, one of the things that you have to take a step back at is ask yourself the question, am I relating to my employees as a human being or only as an employer? Think about when was the last time you actually did something human with your employees? Not a a meeting about work or about productivity or about what they're doing and what they're not doing, not a review, not a, a meeting at lunchtime that really has to do with work. When was the last time you did something human like, Go to lunch and not talk about work. Take them out and go see a movie with those people who work for you. And just hang out and just be human. When was the last time you did that? See, for, for many of us, we, we can't think as an employee when the last time our boss did that, or as an employer, if we've ever done that. Why? Because all we've seen is the people who come and work for me are only as valuable as how much they put in for the company, not necessarily because they're human beings. Now, Paul's saying this. He's saying masters, the slaves that you own, are just as valuable to, should, should be just as valuable as other masters because they're just as valuable to God. So that's, even within the, the church staff, the church staff can correct me tomorrow morning when we have our staff meeting when I yell at them and send them on their way, which does not happen here. But, but we try to relate as human beings to our staff. We have an incredible staff that we love to work with. And the staff is so much more important than the roles that they play for the church because they're human beings that God values and so do we. That's why as a staff, we have fun together. That's why as a staff, we do stuff other than work. 
every once in a while, we'll go see a movie together. At Christmas, we'll go do stuff together that's just having fun. In fact, the, the church council invested, and the staff went to Disneyland a couple weeks ago to say thank you for all that they put in, for all the work they put in for the last 18 months on this building. And it was huge. It was fun. It was a blast. And we think, the staff got to go to Disneyland? Yeah, because we don't pay them enough. That's why. <laughs> because they work really hard and have really good attitudes and are great people. If we value people like God values people, I guarantee you, you will have better employees because they'll realize that they're human. And sometimes we don't see the humanity in people. Think about how, as an employer, you can change that. You can shift to understand, this is a human being that works for me. Therefore, they have human issues in their life. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe their marriage is on the rocks. Maybe their child is sick at home. Maybe they're struggling financially. Maybe they've made some bad decisions in their life, and somehow that bring comes to work. Maybe take a, ste- a step aside and say, hey, how are you doing personally? What's going on in your life? Because that's what's most important. Work is not. It's secondary. And there's a couple things as we head towards conclusion. Two things that Paul highlights that are kind of laced throughout this passage that really answers why. Why is it so important for us as employees and as employers to relate in a healthy way? Why is this so important? Look at, it's actually verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. Paul says this. He says, because it reveals how you relate to Jesus. Paul says these phrases throughout those verses. He says, just as you're relating to employer-employee relationship, just as you would obey Christ, doing the will of God, and as if you were serving the Lord, not men. What is Paul saying? Your relationship as employer-employee, both ways, has a lot to do with the way you relate to Jesus. So again, we have our, our compartment set up. Really well. I have work over here. I have family and church. And I'm a different person over here than I am here. Why? Because when I'm at work, I'm at work. And I don't care about work. I just work so I can live. I don't live to work. And so when we live that way, then we have a tendency to forget the way that I relate personally to people I work with or, or work for or I'm over reflects the way I relate to Jesus. Why? Because if I don't respect the authority of my employer, I don't respect the authority of Jesus in my life. It's consistent. If I struggle with authority in one area of my life, I will struggle with it in all areas of my life. If I don't value the employees that God has given me, I don't value Jesus and the value he places on them. A couple familiar passages. Two times Jesus says this in Matthew 25, verses 40, and then verse 45. Listen to what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then verse 40, same thing. I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about somebody, a brother or sister in Christ, who's going through a struggle in their life. And as you serve them, you're serving me. If you don't serve them, you're not serving me. The same is true in our relationships. If I am not treating people with value, that I am not treating Jesus with value because he values them. That means we have to take a step back and realize the relationships that we have in the work environment are just as important as any other relationship in our life. So important. And to maintain healthy relationships in that context is just as important as the healthy relationships in your marriage or with your kids or with your parents or whatever context with your friends because Jesus values them. And the way I relate to them is the way I relate to him. It's all connected. One of the things that I've, I've watched that I've always been amazed at is that my wife, I'm going to brag on her for a moment, she's worked a lot 
uh, more jobs and positions outside the church and outside ministry than I have. And, and I've watched in, in since I've known her and since we've been married, every job that she's had, she has managed to have the most amazing relationships with her employers. I mean, they respect her, she respects them, and not just because she's a good employee, because she is, but because she takes time to invest in people personally in whatever context she's in, whether she's over them or under them, or she's a coworker. And so to this day, she still has contact with almost every, as far as I know, every employer she's ever had since we've been married. She could call them on the, on the phone, and it's like they just saw each other yesterday. She can call them, and they'll call her. She's had her employers and coworkers call her when they're in crisis for counsel. She's had some of her, her, her employers who are multimillionaires who called her when they're in crisis because she's developed these healthy relationships because I believe she lived by this so that those relationships are good. Now, think about that. Think about the employment that you've experienced. Think about the, few, the, the bosses you had in your past. Could you call them up today and say, hey, how are you? They'd go, what? I fired you. Or, I don't even know who you are. Do you have good relationships? If we actually live like Paul's instructing us to do, is that we relate to them as we relate to Jesus, then we will value them. And I'll tell you, God opens the door, which just leads to to a point I'm going to read in a moment opens the door when you keep healthy relationships in your work environment with people who don't know Jesus, that maybe you don't work with them anymore, but somewhere down the line, they're going to go through a moment of crisis. And the only person that maybe they ever knew that knew Jesus is you. And to have a healthy relationship that's still intact, that they can call you and say, hey, I need you to help me navigate this difficult season in my life is so important. Then the, the final thing, I want to just take a couple minutes and we'll close on this. The, the other thing of why this is so important is because whether we know it or not, it impacts eternity. The way that you work, your work environment, believe it or not, will impact eternity. Verse 8, Paul says, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. The good that you and I do in the workplace reflects the reward that God will give us someday in eternity. Work is not something we tolerate and we put up with and we just hang on for dear life to get through. Work is an environment where Jesus is at work. He's there, he's present, and he has a purpose for it. And that means if we understand that, that means we look at work differently because it's the opportunity for God to work through my life. It's it's an opportunity for God to help my attitude to be right with my employer. It's God's opportunity for me to demonstrate what Jesus looks like in the workplace. If we're spending anywhere from 25 to 50% of our life in a work environment, I think God wants to do something there. Let me ask you a few questions that maybe will help to kind of shift the way that you see your work, the way that you see your job, whether you're an employee or an employer. The first question is this, what if you viewed work as God's purpose instead of your job? What if you moved away from Ah, this is the thing I have to do. This is how I pay the bills. This is the job I have to work. I don't really like it. To maybe this is God's purpose for this season in my life for me to be present at this particular place of employment. What if God actually knows what he's doing and on purpose he positions you right where he wants you to be? What if that's true? Does it change the way you look at your work? It should. Because that means every single day you go to work, you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life. God's purpose isn't over there or in some distant country or at some other job. God's purpose is right in front of us. It's in our work environment. 
So if we think about that, I'm fulfilling God's purpose today because God wants me where I'm at right now because he has a bigger purpose in mind. Which leads to the second question. What if we realize that God so loved the employees that, are, uh, that work for me or the employer that I work for that he sent me into my job? See, we always like to quote John 3.16 and say, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, will have eternal life. That is what we call the incarnation. The God of the universe coming into human flesh in Jesus Christ, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. And then when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into his followers, he said, now you're going to do the same. You are the presence, my presence on this planet. Which means, I'm pretty confident to say that God loves the people that you work with enough that he sent you to be his voice. He sent you to be his example. He sent you to be the demonstration of what love and grace and mercy looks like and what Jesus looks like in the workplace. Now you're thinking, couldn't he have sent me to a different place? I would have really appreciated that. No, he sent you there because he loves the people that you work with. He loves the employer that drives you crazy. He loves the employer that creates a threatening, controlling environment. He loves the employee that drives you crazy and, and you can't fire what you wish you could. He loves the coworker that you're struggling to get along with. And he sent you there to be his presence. And there's a third question. Think about this. What if you realize that the true purpose of your job is not to complete a task, but it's actually to build a relationship? That's why you work. The reason you work where you work is because God has a purpose. God could find any person to complete a task, but he can only use those who follow Jesus to build a relationship that will result in somebody discovering who Jesus is. So if you think about, all I do is I, I, I just work and I do this task. No, 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 no. The reason you do the task where you do the task is because there's people around you, whether it be co- co-workers or customers or employer or employee that God says, this is the context that I want you to build relationship in. I want you to see these people as human beings that you relate with. Let me close with this one last analogy. If you and I were to shift our understanding of why we do what we do and we work where we work because it's, on, it's God's purpose for us, you, need, you and I need to see ourselves like a lighthouse and how a lighthouse historically has worked. And that is that you have been placed strategically by God for a specific purpose in your place of employment because he's at work in your work. So much like a lighthouse, if you think about what a lighthouse does, there's three things I just want to highlight. A lighthouse is always positioned on purpose. It is always positioned in a place where light needs to be seen, that there's uh, jagged rocks and cliffs that if a ship doesn't see them, they're going to run aground and they could be destroyed. So it has to be positioned in a place where it's there on purpose. Why? Because there's something in the darkness that needs to be brought to light. There needs to be a beacon that gives bearings to those at sea to know where the shore is and how they can navigate from there. It's placed there on purpose. Nobody who builds a lighthouse just picks any place on the coast and says, oh, that looks like a good place. They strategically look for the places where a lighthouse is needed. God has done that for you in your place of employment. He's placed you there on purpose. The second thing that a lighthouse does is that it is only effective in the darkness. If you take darkness away from a lighthouse, you know all you have is a postcard. That's it. 
You have a postcard. It looks really cool when the sun's out and the sky is blue and there's no storm. It looks wonderful, but it's not serving its purpose until what? Until nightfall or fog rolls in, and then that's when a lighthouse serves its purpose. That's when it becomes effective. And there's a reason that you're in the employment, that you're in the place of employment, because chances are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, you are working in an environment where you're surrounded by darkness. And the reason that you're there is because God is wanting to use you as a lighthouse in the midst of darkness. Now, some of you think, oh, you know, the ultimate goal is I just, I want to go work for a Christian employer. I just, I, I don't need to, I don't want to be in the world anymore. I don't want to be around those people and the language that they use and the lifestyle. They, I just want to go work and just, it'll all be wonderful. We'll all have the same beliefs. Please don't do that. Don't, it's not wrong to live, work for a Christian organization. I happen to do that. I know. And that's why a lot of times, honestly, I'm fighting my way to get out of the church. I love y'all, but sometimes I like to be around non-Christians because that's what God's called us to do. But think about that. God's placed you there. Why? And you're most effective not when you're surrounded with a bunch of other light. You're most effective when you're surrounded by darkness. And the light that God has shown in your life through Jesus is the demonstration of people need to see of what light looks like. But it's only effective in the darkness. And there's a third thing that's true of a lighthouse. It is absolutely essential for safety and for salvation. Lighthouse represents safe, a safe way to navigate what could be dangerous in the dark. And for centuries, lighthouses have provided the light needed to help ships at sea navigate so that they aren't destroyed. And when the light isn't there, or when the lighthouse hasn't been positioned in the right place, or the light is turned off, ships run aground, lives are destroyed, and people die. How much more important is your work environment that God has sent you for the safety and salvation of people that you work with? You may be the only light they ever see up close and personal. You may be the only person that can demonstrate to them. And in our culture that has become more and more post-Christian, you're finding yourself in environments where you're around less and less Christians. Think about that. You could be the only one that they ever know is the tangible flesh and blood reality of who Jesus is in their life. This is your opportunity. That means when you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work and maybe you struggle going to work, realize this is God's purpose for my life right here, right now, where I work. And there are people I'm going to encounter today that God wants me to demonstrate what his light looks like. It doesn't mean that you and I walk on water and we're perfect. It means we strive to follow Jesus even in our relationships and our work environment. Because I can guarantee some of you in this room You've experienced it one side or the other. That you are in this room today because you worked with a coworker years ago who knew Jesus, and that's how you found Jesus. Some of you today have helped other people discover who Jesus is, who you've worked with, and because of your presence, their lives have been changed. And there are so many more people who have yet to come to know who Jesus is because they're waiting for that tangible reality of what he looks like in their work environment. It's our mission field. In fact, I know we don't like the label, but when you go to work, guess what you are? You're a missionary. You are a missionary sent by God into that context for his purpose. Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for the inspiration of your spirit who worked through Paul to write down things that we know, Lord, in that original context applied to masters and slaves, but, Lord, it also we know today applies to what we all deal with in our work environments. And so I pray today that as we transition from our Sunday morning we go back kind of into our our normal routine 
that one thing that would be different about us today is that we would see our work differently. We wouldn't see it as a necessary evil, something that we have to tolerate, but we would see that it's your opportunity that you have called us, that you have placed us, that you have positioned us, that you've put your light in us for a reason that's bigger than us. So Lord, give us the the courage to work the way you want us to work as though we're working for you. To lead and have authority over people as a reflection of what your authority looks like in their life so that ultimately, through our work environment, people will be able to see who you are. Lives will be changed. People will come to know you. And then someday, Lord, when we all get to sing, like we sang earlier, about this, this picture of the global church coming together, there will be people that we worked with that someday will be standing right next to us at your throne in eternity, worshiping you and experiencing why they were created because we saw ourselves as missionaries in our work environment. Lord, give us the courage to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.